The views and opinions expressed during the drive time are those of Dave Glover and his guests and are not those of Northumberland 89.7. Agree, disagree, or have a comment. Call the station and speak with Dave live on the air. Call 905-372-2321. That's 905-372-2321. Now your host, Dave Glover. the broadcast. Joining me on the line in just a moment is uh, Greg Palast from his home in California. We're going to be talking about Venezuela, Canada's role in the Lima Group, and uh, uh, just all of the, the bad uh, uh, propaganda that's going on about Venezuela. Before we get to the conversation, as always, we'd like to play a song relevant to the conversation. Here is Buffalo Springfield and their track, For What It's Worth, on Truly Local Radio, Northumberland 89.7. We'll be right back after this. Something happening here But what it is ain't exactly clear There's a man with a gun over there Telling me I got to beware I think it's time we stop Children, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going down Lines being drawn Nobody's right If everybody's wrong Young people speaking their minds Are getting so much resistance From behind Time we stop Hey, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going down A field day for the heat A thousand people in the street Singing songs and carrying signs Mostly say hooray for our side It's time we stop, hey, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going Your life, it will creep It starts when you're always afraid Step out of line, the man come And take you away We better stop, hey, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going down Stop, hey, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going down better stop now, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going down 
course, Buffalo Springfield from 1967 and their anthem, uh, for what it's worth. Greg, welcome to the broadcast. Yeah, glad to be with you. Uh, that was written actually about the protests right near where I live on Sunset Boulevard here in Los Angeles when kids had had enough of what was then a, uh, a curfew put on young people. Mm-hmm. And they simply blocked it. And uh, Stephen Stills and... and um, and my friend Graham Nash were in a car and couldn't get through. And they were saying, what's going on? And then they found out. Um, uh, also, one of my favorite lines in there, of course, is when he says, uh, um, you know, people singing songs, carrying signs, mostly saying hooray for our signs. Uh, yeah. Because there can sometimes be um, a meaningless self-regard in our protests. Hopefully we'll have something more meaningful this afternoon. So what's your question? Well, Everything's fine, isn't there? So why, why am I bothering you? <laughs> Everything is fine. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. I think, I think anything is, is so far from fine, it's, it's crazy. I mean, we live in a, in a world where things should be fine. You're absolutely right. Everything should be fine, Greg. But yeah. things aren't fine. And, and uh, I want to talk today, if we can, about Venezuela. I know you can talk about a myriad of things. I should let people know, Greg Plast is the author of several New York Times bestsellers, including The Best Democracy Money Can Buy and Armed Madhouse. And, you know, uh, obviously, Greg, from his investigative reports for BBC, T- BBC TV, The Guardian, Democracy Now!, and The Rolling Stone, and, of course, you covered Venezuela for The Guardian and the BBC. Now, when you first went down to Venezuela, it was just fresh news for you. You weren't even really n- n- aware of what was going on. And then you got to go down there, and you actually met with Chavez uh, a-, a few times. Yes, and it was very interesting. You know, I, I kind of invented Hugo Chavez. Because until uh, I started reporting for the BBC and Guardian, people really, and I didn't know myself, his, um, uh, a woman uh, stopped me in, uh, in London when I speak, so you've got to get down to Venezuela right away because there's going to be a, cu- a coup overthrowing Hugo Chavez on March 15. And I said, who's Hugo Chavez? <laughs> so, uh, and then I found out, uh, which is a very, and, and what I found out was, uh, was uh, quite astonishing and more than interesting. Um, so for B- so BBC, I told BBC there would be a coup against this guy that they've never heard of. They said we don't care, but why do you know it's, uh, it's the fifteenth? And um, he wasn't kidnapped on the fifteenth. He was kidnapped seven days later. Right. Uh, I met with him. I got the word. The U.S. State Department, and which is means um, the uh, of which the Canadian Foreign Ministry is the uh, subsidiary. Um, had said that um, Hugo Chavez had resigned. That's right. That he knew how what a terrible guy he was. That he'd messed up the country, and and by the popular will hating this guy, he he just resigned. In fact, I got the word at 3 a.m. in London that he was in fact uh, kidnapped, and a million, one million Venezuelans in Caracas moved, marched on the presidential palace to surround the self-proclaimed um, president. Is this sounding familiar? A guy who declared himself president. Mm-hmm. He was, by the way, an oil company lawyer named uh, um, um, Camaro. And, um, former Exxon he, executive, listeners, just so yeah, you know. Yeah, uh, a former Exxon executive. And he um, declared himself president with all the right white people and then uh, found out that the, he was about to get crushed by a million people who were ready to storm the presidential palace, so he suddenly undeclared himself president and left and then fled to Colombia. Right. Um, but we see the repeat of this story. 
that the, that the government which took over and Chavez passed away a few years ago, and the government that took his place is horribly unpopular, and people hate them, and they've screwed everything up. Same stuff they used on Chavez, okay? Exactly. And, and but here's the real thing. And just like in the case of, of uh, Chavez, um, they have found a self-proclaimed president, a guy who declared himself president, but then was recognized immediately. Uh, in fact... Trump called him a half hour before he declared himself president and said, if you declare yourself president, I will recognize you. And immediately uh, Trudeau came, you know, on, on, all, on all four legs, got up on his hind legs and, and agreed with, uh, with Donald Trump uh-huh. yeah. um, and uh, said that, yes, this self-proclaimed guy is now should, is the president, is the real president of Venezuela. And if you're wondering what his qualifications are, I want every, I'm going to do something that you normally don't do on radio. I want you to look at something. So... I want you to go to gregpalast.com, G-R-E-G-P-A-L-A-S-T, and everything will explain in three pictures. First, there's Guaido, the self-proclaimed president, um, with his uh, very nice white guy, with his uh, shiny white, very good-looking wife. He's a very good, handsome movie star type, mm-hmm. and is a nice kid. And then you see his members of his party, the opposition to the government of Venezuela. There's kind of a, a class photo of them in front of the National Assembly, and there's about 60 of them. It's a pretty big group of, of opposition leaders. And everyone, I mean every single one, is lily white, shiny white. Okay? Then you go down to the pro-government group, uh, about twice as many deputies who are pro-government. And there's about 120. And it's various shades of black and brown. And right. there you have it. The uh, the 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 reason why Guaido was named president without running is that it is not a white nation. For 400 years, white people, a small elite of rich white people, controlled this nation of mestizos, of indigenous people, mm-hmm. of black people, and then their Nelson Mandela, a guy named Hugo Chavez, broke the white apartheid control with his election in 1998. And as he told me, he's negro e indio. He's black and Indian featured, and that drove them crazy. And when you look at those big protests, I want you to take a look at the photos. When you see them in the Canadian papers, in the Globe, mm-hmm. in the New York Times, and on TV, yes, you'll see massive demonstrations against government. By the way, it's kind of interesting. For a dictatorship, they have a lot of, oh, I know. of opposition leaders yeah. and a lot of, of demonstrations against the, uh, the government. I can well, tell you in, in some of the other oily countries that are supposed <laughs> allies, like, for example, in Kazakhstan, there's not one opposition member of parliament. Same in Azerbaijan. Mm-hmm. You may not know these places, but just like Venezuela, they're oil states yep. where British Petroleum uh, does very well, controls these states. Well, Saudi not Arabia. One the opposition and, and journalists. Um, oh, you had a, a, a CNN journalist upset that he was thrown out by Venezuela. Or he claims he was thrown out. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, I can tell you right now, in some of these other states, or like in Colombia, you'd be dead. That's well, how you. That's how they. That's how they get rid of their journalists. I they saw. Don't get, I, they don't. They don't let them go home first class. No, I and they I remember. Six I, feet under. So, I, I so saw. Now, so yeah. So saw, it's all about black and white and apartheid. Mm-hmm. And that's what it is. Is that the black people of Venezuela do not want to give up their government and their oil. And I want to read you. And then I'll, I'm going to read one thing, and then I will shut up and take your question because <laughs> here's the important thing you need to know about Chavez. I want to read you two sentences 
from the United States CIA, the Central Intelligence Agency's own internal fact book about the Chavez government. And this is the CIA. It says, quote, and you can see this at gregpalace.com, social investment in Venezuela during the Chavez administration reduced poverty from nearly 50% in 1999, when Chavez was elected, Mm -hmm. to about 27% in 2011, when he passed away. Chavez increased school enrollment, substantially decreased infant and child mortality, and improved access to potable water and sanitation through social investment. He cut the poverty rate from half the nation. First, half the nation was in poverty when Chavez came in, sitting on top of the world's biggest pool of oil. Mm -hmm. And second, he cut it in half. Obama didn't do that. Jimmy Carter didn't do that. In fact, Franklin Roosevelt didn't do that. It is one of the most, and, and by the way, Nelson Mandela didn't do that either. It is, and that's why they have to get rid of this guy, because he took the oil money, and he took it away from the rich white guys, and he took it away from the uh, British and American and French oil companies, and he gave the Venezuelan oil money to the people of Venezuela. And that could not stand... And his successor's not allowed to do that now, and that's why they have to get rid of him. And yes, they're suffering because there is a medieval embargo and a medieval siege, as the rapporteur for the United Nations calls it. If I'm whipped up, it's because we are taking oil from people through the weapon of starvation, and that is the conclusion of the United Nations investigator, the rapporteur, as he's called. And that is ugly, and Canada is playing a very ugly role in this. Indeed, Canada is playing an extremely ugly role. I, I saw an interview with Abby Martin a while ago where she was talking about how there's seven daily newspapers in that country, and four of them on a daily basis run anti-Maduro ads. We've got the opposition leader, the self-proclaimed treasonous, if you ask me, President self-declared Guaido, running around the country. I mean, if you, if as you said before, it was a dictatorship, then those newspapers would have been shut down. Guaido probably would have disappeared a long time ago. And you know, I mean, the. Well, let me ask you a question. If if um, someone, if one of your legislative leaders in the opposition said uh, Trudeau is unpopular, and so I'm declaring myself president. Donald Trump has said that he will send in troops if, if, uh, if Trudeau doesn't uh, leave office. And we are embargoing Canada. It will not be allowed to sell its oil. It will not be allowed to get its oil revenue. It will not be allowed to import or export or even use checking accounts because the international check clearing system will be cut off. If that happened, Canada, two things would happen. Canada would collapse. There was such an embargo t- mm-hmm. within three days. Yep. Venezuela is held up better than Canada would, I can tell you that and better than America would if we were cut off. Uh, the other is that if, um, if some opposition leader did that, I assume that it, as in America, inviting a foreign power to invade your country to overthrow the government, in the United States Constitution, mm-hmm. that is punishable by death. It's in the Absolutely. Constitution yes. of the United States. It's punishable by death, not by television time. No, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. So, so here we are. Canada is the, is the head of the Lima Group right now. What message? I mean, I've been telling my local member of parliament that this is something that needs to be addressed. This is ridiculous. It's as un-Canadian as, as I... I mean, I grew up in this country. I have always believed that Canada was a nation that was a just country that wasn't interested in, in pulling off this kind of crap. And yet here we are. And this isn't the first time. This is the thing. This this event, this particular event with the Lima Group, has really been an eye-opening experience, I think, for millions of Canadians. Because we're looking at this event, and then we're thinking, well, you know, we've jumped on board with the American bandwagon a few other times as well. 
well, maybe those issues were wrong. Maybe we were lied to then as well. I mean, what do we say to our foreign affairs representative, Christia Freeland, today in order to get her to to get out of this Lima group and, and, and get on board with the reality that what's going on is an illegal embargo, is basically a, a human rights tragedy and, and quite potentially a war crime? Well, in fact, when you use the term war crime, let's pick that up. The United Nations Rapporteur, again, the independent investigator, actually said that these are crimes against humanity. Exactly. These, uh, these are bordering on war crimes mm-hmm. and the threat of using force to take. And, and let's, let's go back to that three-letter word behind the whole thing, O-I-L, oil. Now, here's where Canada comes in. There are only two major sources of heavy oil on this planet at this moment. I mean, there are several places, but there's only two giant sources. The first is Venezuela, and the second is Canada, the Canadian tar sands, mm-hmm. which is super heavy, bituminous. Now, so there is a direct competition between Venezuela and the Canadian oil merchants. That's not Canadians. I, you know, the United States oil companies, Exxon is not Greg Palace. That's me. Okay, I don't get nothing from what Exxon steals out of Venezuela. Right. So the Canadian oil interests, and some of them aren't Canadian. For example, your big tar sands owner are the Koch brothers. 70% so here's the story of the that you must know. The Koch brothers have the, two of the largest refineries on the planet, on the Gulf Coast of Texas, Corpus Christi, Texas. Mm-hmm. As you all know, there's been a huge fight for years over building a pipeline, the XL Keystone Pipeline by TransCanada, from Alberta down to uh, Texas, Corpus Christi, Texas. Now, one has to ask, what the hell are we doing building a pipeline to Texas, which right now is swimming in excess oil? What do we do? Why is there a pipeline going from Canada to Texas? Mm-hmm. The answer is Coke, K-O-C-H. That's a four-letter word. The, the um, refineries on the Gulf Coast of Texas, owned by Coke Industries, cannot use Texas oil. Texas oil is light. It's, in, it's called Texas Intermediate Light. Even though the refineries are literally in the middle of oil fields, they mm-hmm. can't use that Texas oil. They can only use heavy oil in those refineries. That's what they're built for. And there's only two sources. And at the moment, they were built specifically and only to take Venezuelan oil, which comes It's a four-day tanker ride from Caracas, from the ports of Caracas, near Caracas, to, um, uh, to Corpus Christi, Texas. Mm-hmm. And so that was, so the Koch brothers were entirely dependent on the Venezuelans, who knew that. And now, as you know, Canadians, uh, certainly, if you know your own oil business, Mm-hmm. You have to sell that, that gunky tar sand at a massive discount. So that normally Venezuela would sell oil at a discount, but instead Venezuela has been cranking the Cokes, making them pay extra premium through notes. Because Venezuela, Chavez, I knew Chavez well, he knows that, and he's a very smart guy, and he knew that the Cokes were his biggest single customer in the world, and they were captive customers. Mm-hmm. And so the only thing that they could do now is for Canada – so Canada's joining in. It wants to Im- maintain an embargo on Venezuela, stop the flow of Venezuelan oil, which is done by two ways, not just an embargo. But it can't. But as you know, Canada, because you've just had your big scandal, is a big supplier of oil services equipment and supplies and, and other services to oil fields. Mm-hmm. So 
Canada is withholding all those uh, parts and, and uh, technical services and stopping others from providing parts and technical services to make sure that Venezuelan oil is uh, production is plummeting. And that's exactly what they're doing. They're starving the oil industry mm-hmm. of Venezuela, which starves the people because Venezuela depends on its oil revenues. And so why does, why does the Canadian oil interest and the Koch brothers want that? Because they want to get uh, the Koch brothers and uh, the Koch brothers want to get that oil out of Canada. So one, it's pressure on the United States to push for that pipeline. Second, as the uh, now there is now um, uh, a expanding uh, rail car shipment of oil from the Canadian tar sands down to the Koch Industries refineries. And then the Kochs were taking oil from uh, Citgo, that is, the, which is the Venezuelan company, mm-hmm. and not paying for it. They're literally taking the money that yeah. they're supposed to pay for the Venezuelan oil that they took, and they've been giving it to the U.S. government. Uh, you know, knowing the Kochs, I'm sure they're not turning over all of it. They're giving money to the U.S. government, That's which right. is supposedly holding it in trust. Basically, we are not paying Venezuela for the oil. It is massive theft. And, yes. of course... Trudeau loves it because it's just, as you know from uh, his playing games with the, uh, with the oil services company already, is that, is that pleasuring the oil industry is crucial to any Canadian government. Yeah, and, but isn't that kind of undercutting yeah. the Canadian uh, market as well, though? I mean, by, by getting their oil, by stealing it from Venezuela, getting it for free. Well, no, they're now cutting they not... it off. Yeah, I mean, they've cut the, the production of Venezuelan oil has gone from 2 million yep. uh, Two million some barrels a day, uh, and despite I know that, that the Venezuelan government says, "Oh, they're still producing over a million barrels a day," which is baloney, frankly. They're not even getting close to a million barrels a day, and because the the industry is collapsing, it does not have the parts mm-hmm. to operate. And plus, they can't get payments because the SWIFT system is closed to them, and a lot of their cre- they can't buy things. So, for example, you had. You know, the billionaire Richard Branson is sitting there throwing packages of food over the Venezuelan border from Colombia saying, oh, look, I'm helping the starving people. He reminds you of when uh, uh, Trump was, was throwing paper towels at, yes. the, at the drowning people of Puerto Rico. Yeah. And uh, Branson's doing the same thing. No, the, and it's the government of Venezuela said, we don't need your food. We don't need charity. Give us our money. Give us, and, and by the way, British Petroleum, I don't want to just pick on Canada. It's only because I'm a Canadian Airways but uh, British uh, Petroleum, for example, mm-hmm. um, the Canadian. Okay, so you have Trump, and Trudeau immediately follows Trump. You know, because you know Trump is is absolutely a foreign policy genius. And, and uh, well, I, can I can I ask you though? And really but then you also have the, the the British falling right in the 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 complete. Now, when you talk about unpopular governments that should be removed by force or otherwise, Theresa May, the right wing. Uh, confused and um, uh, ridiculous, uh, almost a joke of a government in in um, England is saying that, oh, look how unpopular Maduro is. <laughs> he won't hold a vote. Well, go ahead, Theresa May. I think you should hold a vote and see if you um, yeah, yeah. last more than uh, 11 hours. So the thing is, but what happened, here's the story you need to know. Um, last year, British Petroleum, and the British government asked the Venezuelan government, Maduro is the new president, the guy I know. By the way, I know the opposition leaders, too. Not quite, oh, he's a new guy on this. He just 
no one knew who they can I can I ask but, you a, 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 real, a, a quick question because we're almost sure. out of time Greg mm-hmm. um we always hear how it's a corrupt government, how, you know, these guys are, are just looking after themselves. But one of the things that came out when I was watching one of your reports recently was the fact that it's actually such a lie. I mean, you, even the CIA says, you can't bribe this guy. You, you know. That's right. I mean, uh, you know, it's, let's it's talk about that for, if we can. Yeah. One of the things that's very interesting is the role of bribery in extractive industries. Mm-hmm. I mean, one, of the, one of the most corrupt, I've, I've traveled the world, I've seen a lot of corrupt nations. I think I put Canada in. In the in the uh, near the top list of most corrupt, really, and yeah, and I'll explain that in a minute to give you a good example. But um, see, because what happens is you have ex- you have these extractive industries, and yes, you have all these corrupt nations from Mobutu, who was running the Congo, who took money to give diamond mines to Pat Robertson. You've got um, um, you know it's extractive industries, so you have a massive amount of corruption. Uh, that that greases um, that greases nation. The problem for the problem for Maduro, and like I was saying about the Canadian government, I mean, excuse me, the British government. They want a British petroleum to take over the French oil fields in Venezuela, and then Maduro said no because British petroleum. I did a big investigation then for Channel Four in Britain, which I think ran in Canada. And it was all about massive bribery paid all over the yeah. planet by British Petroleum. But the thing is, the, the Chavista Maduro Chavez government won't take bribes. That's what upsets them. It's not that they're corrupt. It's that they're not corrupt. And I talk, I can tell you right now, I talked to Republican, allied, top oil industry officials. They said the same thing. Normally, if you want an oil field, you know, you kick back 20%. That's the going rate for these things. We know that mobile, uh, one mobile executive was sent to prison uh, for three years for paying a $160 million bribe to the president of Kazakhstan, a very close ally of the Canadian and American governments, right? Mm-hmm. So we like him because he will take the big bribe. And, but the Chavez government wouldn't. And, I, you know, and one of the things I wanted to mention, in fact, when we talk about you know, bribery and, and bullying, we, you have a... Um, you had a prime minister named Brian Mulroney, yep. for example, who uh, became was paid millions by the reporting we did for the Guardian and uh, that I did for the Guardian, millions by um, a corrupt uh, operator named Peter Monk who owned Barrick Gold Mining out of Toronto. Mm. Barrick Gold Mining used had put given millions to Mulroney, to his buddy George Bush. Uh, and to several, by the way, powerful Democrats who were put on the board of Barrick of Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, there were, and what they used their influence, for example, was to um, get a gold mine worth billions, one of the biggest gold mines in Africa and Tanzania, at a place called Bullion Hulu. Mm-hmm. Massive bribes were paid, and, um, and so this Canadian company got a hold of this diamond mine, also with the help of George Bush Sr. after he was booted out of the presidency in the U.S. And, but when they got this property, it was already held by jewelry miners. That is, guys who dig their own, like, 30-foot little mines, and they would take out bits of gold. And they actually had, you know, they actually had a real, you know, written, approved claims to this property. But no, once the Canadian company said it was ours, it was originally a company called Sutton, for the Canadian company Sutton to, to sell Barrick the property, they had to clear it. So they ran bulldozers with, uh, with government approval. They ran bulldozers over the property, and they 
sealed up the miners, uh, the miners, the, the jewelry miners' mines, and there were 50 miners still in those mines, 50 miners buried alive by a Canadian company, and it was covered up by Brian Mulrooney. And so when you, we talk about corrupt governments, you know, don't, you know look, look, don't look too far from home. Huh. And, and by the way, when you mentioned that I have a book, The Best Democracy Money Can Buy, it was banned from sale in Canada. <laughs> I did and not know because, that. Yeah, it was banned for, from sale for, in Canada. Um, uh, Mulrooney and Buddies had uh, um, threatened my publisher with massive suits that would make it crippling suits. They, uh, they threatened the Guardian with, with bankrupting suits. They tried to ruin my career. And so I couldn't publish the book in Canada, but then a French publisher took the story and put it in a book called Canada Noir in French and told the story of the burial of the miners that I had uncovered. And um, they were sued. It cost millions for them to defend themselves by Barrick, by, uh, by the Canadian companies. And, but they uh, won, ultimately, I would say. And they ultimately won. But i got to tell you, to get the truth out about about the, the massive bribery committed by Canadians' extractive industries. This has already been a scandal in your nation. If you think this was like one time or the last couple months, forget it. This is a long story of the extractive industries, mm-hmm. which is Canada, which is the United States, which is Britain. Um, I, got a, I had a, a story about British Petroleum where we even, you know, uh, this one guy uh, uh, had accused British Petroleum. He was a partner of British Petroleum. He was very upset. Uh, that uh, British Petroleum, his name is Grindberg, and he was uh, an oil man in the U.S., and he was upset that British Petroleum was paying bribes. And I said, I can't go on the air in, in, in uh, Britain and say that, the, that British Petroleum is paying bribes. What's your, what's your proof? And he said, he got an invoice he, for his share <laughs> oh of the bribe. God. He showed me the, the invoice for his share of the bribe. And he, you know, it's like, so you have to understand, this is how Canada runs on extractive industries. It's oil. It's timber. And well, it's mining. It's, you know, it, it's mining, it's, it's all you know, especially mining. And, and when you get into these types of extractive industries, mm-hmm. you are into massive, massive corruption. And I don't know of, I don't know of a company that isn't corrupt. In fact, a lot of them will say that's the only way we can operate, which was, again, going back to your point, their complaint about Chavez and his government is that they wouldn't take the bribes. In fact, the, the British government, when, they, when um, Venezuela last year refused to turn over the fields to British Petroleum, they then seized a billion and a half dollars of gold bricks that were held right. in the British exchequer owned by the Venezuelans. Literally mm-hmm. stole that money and said, oh, well, um, the corrupt government of <laughs> the corrupt government of Venezuela can't have this, this gold. It literally leads to starvation. So this is what's going on and I know it's very quick to do a very, some very heavy stories. If you want to read about uh, Bush Sr. and the uh, game with Mulrooney and, and Barrick Gold of Canada, go to um, gregpalace.com. It says 50 Miners Buried Alive. And if you want to read about Venezuela and see those pictures of black and white, same place. Well, Greg, I know you've, you've got things to do this afternoon, and I really want to thank you for your time. I, I hope we can have you back another time. Yes. 
And uh, I, I know the listeners are as excited as I have. Already gotten some tweets from uh, some emails, rather from a couple of listeners who are just shocked and excited and astounded by what they've heard from you this afternoon. They are looking forward to you coming back. My guest has been Greg Palas. Listeners, he is a a world renowned, in my estimation anyway, author of several books on the New York Times bestseller, "The Best Democracy Money Can Buy," which I understand you can't buy in Canada, and "Unarmed Madhouse," as well as you may know him from BBC Television, The Guardian. Uh, Democracy Now!, Rolling Stone. Seriously, listeners, go to gregpalas.com for more information on some of the great work that Greg has done. Greg, I want to thank you, as I said, and we will be in touch, my friend. And thank you so much. And uh, um, I hope you have a wonderful afternoon. You too. Thanks for the opportunity. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Greg Palast, everybody. Uh, As I say, if you want to know more about what's happening uh, in Venezuela, don't turn to the CBC, don't turn to the BBC or CNBC or CNN or any of the quote-unquote usual sources. Go to gregpalast.com. Go to the Jimmy Dore Show and find out more about Greg Palast there. You can also go to Abby Martin and Empire Files or check out some of the work done by award-winning journalist Aaron Matei, who has also been on the ground in Venezuela. Don't let the media lie to you. And don't let the government lie to you about what's happening down in Venezuela. Uh, you have been listening to The Drive Time, Canada's only holistic political chat. I'm Dave Glover.